But today we're in this 52 series, and and uh, I wanted to take a look at a verse in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. That's our main focus. It's It's the final verse of a vision that Isaiah had, and it's Isaiah 6, verse 8. It'll be on the screen if you'd like. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? Isaiah said, I said, here I am, send me. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we take a look to this passage and this verse specifically, you'd open up our hearts and you'd open up our minds to what you want to say to us. We're each at a different place on our spiritual journey. It's an amazing thing to think how you can speak to each one of us at different places and yet speak right into our situation, into our life, into our journey. And so, Lord, help each of us to open ourselves up to hear from you. We give you this time, we pray in your name. Amen. So Isaiah was a prophet of God in the Old Testament. He was one of the the major prophets. He, He spoke on God's behalf for over 50 years. And historians believe that that Isaiah's father was friends with the king, King Uzziah. And so Isaiah grew up being exposed to the king of his land. And, And Isaiah admired the king and looked up to him. And Isaiah declared, as a messenger of God, he declared that God's people were rebelling against the Lord. Isaiah said they gave meaningless offerings to the Lord because they didn't care that they had sinned. Isaiah also said God's people had been liars. They had been murderers. They worshipped idols and that their land was full of these idols that they had made with their own hands. And Isaiah warned punishment was coming for their wicked deeds. King Uzziah had started off his reign as king, being a godly man, but he ended up sinning inside the temple. And because of this, God gave King Uzziah leprosy, a repulsive skin condition. And because of that leprosy, he had to be separated from uh, other people. And and so he had to be removed from the throne as king. And he, he eventually died of leprosy. And this must have been devastating to Isaiah. Here is Isaiah had grown up with the king and been exposed to the king. He had admired the king. He'd looked up to him as a man of God. But yet now he, he sees the king sin against the Lord inside the temple. Isaiah saw the king be removed from his position as as the king and removed from the throne, he, he saw Isaiah get this, or Isaiah saw King Uzziah get this disease of, of leprosy, and, and then he saw him die. And it's at that point that God gave Isaiah a vision in Isaiah chapter 6, the first eight verses. It wasn't a dream, it wasn't something made up, it was, it was real, it was reality. Because God was showing Isaiah, giving him a glimpse into heaven, giving him a glimpse into the throne room of heaven. 
And in this vision, Isaiah saw five things. It's in Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8. Isaiah, uh, first of all, it's in your notes, Isaiah saw the Lord. Isaiah saw God's holiness. In Isaiah 6, 1, the scripture says, It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And this passage goes on to talk about these angel-like beings called seraphims or or, uh, angel-like creatures. They had six wings. Two were covering their eyes because because they saw the holiness of God and they, they couldn't look. Two were covering their feet. Two were flying, and they were crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So the first thing Isaiah saw in this vision, he saw the Lord. He saw God's holiness. And I want us to take a deep breath and see the Lord today. To slow down just enough to contemplate his holiness. Sometimes we are so busy in life and we just are on a mission and we have a to-do list and appointments and schedules and work and family and things and, and we go, go, go. Today, I'd like for us to contemplate the holiness of God. Because I think that if we start there, like Isaiah did in his, in his vision, like these angel-like creatures, I think it will change. It will start to change us. It will start to turn us. Isaiah saw the Lord. He saw God's holiness. The second thing Isaiah saw in this vision Isaiah saw himself. He saw his own sinfulness. Those angels, those angel-like creatures, they were flying and they were crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And Isaiah said, wow. It's all over. I'm doomed For I'm a sinful man, I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. The closer we get to God, the more clearly we see our sin. Isaiah saw the Lord, and then Isaiah saw himself. The third thing Isaiah saw in this vision, he saw the cleansing power of God. He saw his guilt and his his guilt removed and his sin forgiven. In Isaiah 6, verses 6 and 7, Isaiah saw these angel-like beings with tongs take a hot coal from the altar and fly over to Isaiah and touch his lips with it. And, and, and they said, now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. We need our guilt removed we need our sin forgiven and in that vision isaiah saw god's holiness 
He saw his own sinfulness, and he saw the cleansing power of God. And as we, in our lives, pause for a moment to see God's holiness, we can have forgiveness of sins. We can be cleansed. And our guilt can be removed. And if you're carrying around guilt, you have to ask the question, is it true guilt or is it false guilt? If you have sin in your life and you have not asked God for forgiveness, you've not confessed it, then it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict us of that sin, to draw us to him so that we come to a place where we ask for forgiveness. If we have yet to do that, that's true guilt in our life. Some of us, we've asked God's forgiveness. We've asked Christ to to remove that sin from our our life, to cleanse us, but yet we still carry around guilt for that sin. And if that's the case, that's false guilt. Just think of it this way. We have sin in our life. We, we ask God to forgive us of that sin. And later on in our life, we come back to God and we say, Hey, God, do you remember that sin that I did back in 2015? Oh, it's still kind of hot. God, you remember that? God chooses to forget. No, Bill. I I don't remember that. No, no, God, it was bad, really. Oh, I can't I oh, I cannot believe if the people in SFC knew what I did back they wouldn't be listening to God, it was Don't know what you're talking about, Bill. Hmm. Don't know. God has forgiven us of that. God has forgotten. We remember. We carry it around. We dabble with it. We linger with it. But that's false guilt. And it's difficult sometimes to move past false guilt. But God wants to remove our guilt and forgive us of our sin. The fourth thing that happened with Isaiah was Isaiah was surrendered. In this vision, he was willing to be used by God. And he said in the verse we read today, here I am. Here I am. I kind of picture Isaiah with his arms outstretched. Saying, God. Here I am. Use me. I'm willing. Because our verse, God, is asking for a messenger. Who is going to be used by me? God is saying, who's going to be the messenger to this group of people? Who, who will go? Whom shall I send? And Isaiah, he was willing. He was surrendered. He said, here am I. Here I am. It, it reminds me of, of a story that I heard from my very first youth pastor. Maybe this will help you. He said, think of your life like a, a house. And in the house, there's many rooms. 
And each room of the house represents a different area of your life. There's one room represents your family and another room represents your friends. There's another room that represents your hobbies and another room that represents your, your free time and your interests and your entertainment. And there's another room that represents your sports. There's another room that represents your, your marriage if you're married, your kids if you have children. And, and, and he shared how each room represents a different aspect of your life and each room has a different key to the door to get in. When we invite Jesus into our heart, when we invite Jesus into our life, we're giving him the key to the front door. We're giving him the garage door code. We're giving him the garage door opener. We're saying, Jesus, come into my life. Come into my house. Forgive me of my sins. And we, we give God many of the keys to these other rooms. But oftentimes there's one or two rooms of our house, one or two areas of our life that, that are kind of ours. They're our thing, and, and we don't really want God to mess those things up. We really don't want God to come into those rooms and change things around. And, and we kind of like the way, way things are going in that area, in that part of our life. And so we hold back the key to that room. And my youth pastor said, Maybe God is speaking to you tonight and he's asking you to give him the key to that room that you've been holding on to. That is a surrendered life. That is a complete surrender. Maybe, maybe you're on your spiritual journey and you're thinking about giving God your life and inviting him into your heart. And maybe you've, you've been contemplating that for some time and, and you need to step across that line of faith and give him the key to your front door and the key to your life and the garage code and the garage door and say, come in, forgive me, remove the sin and, and remove the guilt from my life. But maybe you have already made that decision but yet there's a room in the back corner that you've been holding on to the key. And maybe today, God is saying to you, I want that key. I want that room. I want you to surrender that part of your life. And not just surrender it with palm up, but surrender it palm down. As a teenager, that impacted me, that connected with me, because I was an athlete that was playing sports for myself, for my own glory, to say, hey, look at me, look at the big stud Carson over there playing football, basketball, baseball. It was that night that I took the key of my sports room and I turned it over to God. And it was because of that time that God was able to use me as I played sports, no longer for myself, but for his glory, to bring praise to him and to be an influence on my fellow teammates. And today, I know God is speaking to some of you about that key that you've been holding on to. It's kind of your thing and maybe today, like Isaiah, you need to surrender it 
to him. The last thing in this vision that Isaiah had, he saw the people. Saw the people. He was available to be involved in other people's lives. And in our verse today, God was looking for a messenger to send to a group of people. And you know what? God is still looking for people to reach people. God is still, he created that way, and he's still working it that way. He set up a system, and he's working the system. I don't fully understand why he did it that way, but it's his design. It was his idea. It's his plan. It's his strategy. People reaching people. And Isaiah saw the people. And he said, here I am. Send me. It's one hungry person telling another hungry person where to find food. That's the good news. Those of us that have stepped across that line of faith, we found spiritual food. We we were being filled with God and his word and and with his presence and and with Christ and his forgiveness. and, And now we have good news. And God is calling us to see the people. It's ordinary people being used by God in extraordinary ways. And it's time. It's time to stop making excuses. Oh, we're good at that, aren't we? We are so good at making excuses why we can't go, why we can't reach people, why we can't be his messenger. Uh, they don't. They don't want to hear what I have to say. I mean, I mean, their life. It's it's none of my business. I, I mean, I don't talk about religion or politics or other controversial subjects. I mean, I'm not trying to rock the boat. I'm not trying to make waves. I'm not trying to pry into people's personal lives. I'm not really sure what to say. I don't really know the Bible that well. I mean, what if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? It's time to stop making excuses. God is calling each one of us to see the people, to see the need, and to reach those people. It starts with the people that are in your home and in your community that you work with, and it goes around the world. That's why our mission's Team went to Estonia. That's why Beth Ann and Barry, right here from our church, have been called by God to give up their careers here in Denver, Colorado, and to move their lives to Estonia because God is calling them. And I don't know if God's calling you to a foreign country. Maybe it's for a short-term mission trip like our team is in Mexico right now. Maybe God would be calling you to do that. But maybe it's to reach out to the neighbor. Or to the the person down the street, or the person you work with, the person that's in your extended family. Maybe it's in your immediate family. There's people that need Jesus around us, and we are good at making excuses. 
It's time to stop making excuses. It's, it's time to surrender ourselves completely to God. Would God call a sinful person like me to be his messenger? I mean, would God call a person with unclean lips to be his spokesman? Yes. Yes. That's the only kind of people there are. People who see God's holiness, see their own sinfulness, and cry out to God and surrender. And it's time today to surrender It's time to quit being complacent. Your past will not exclude you from being used by God. God can remove the guilt and forgive the sin of our past, but how we live today might disqualify us. It's time to stop being complacent. It's time to carry a burden for others. Last week, the Converged District Executive Minister, Paul Mitten, you heard his message at the beginning. He had, a, had a, a powerful video. He's oversees the Rocky Mountain region of Colorado, parts of Utah, New Mexico, Wyoming. And he said in that Rocky Mountain region, there are 11 million people. And 9.5 million of those people do not have a church home. Wow. Wow. One and a half million people in the Rocky Mountain region that he oversees has a church home. Does that bother you? I mean, does that even concern you? Have you ever been so concerned for someone's spiritual condition that it affected you? You just had to pray, or maybe it affected your sleep, or the way you ate, or it just affected your emotions, because you were carrying a burden for them. It is time to carry burden for others. Are we so desensitized that this doesn't really matter? It's time to also recognize that all followers of Christ are called to be involved in ministry, both inside the church and outside the church. That's a whole message right there. Do you know that? Do you understand this principle, this concept, that throughout Scripture, God is calling all followers to be used by him it's not just vocational ministers or pastors or staff members though that's their job they work at the church i'll leave that to them god is calling all of us to be involved in ministry both inside the church and outside the church so if you are a follower of christ what ministry Are you involved with inside the church? If you're a follower of Christ, in what ways are you trying to reach people outside the church? Because it's time that we recognize this. And it's time, like Isaiah, to say to God, here I am, send me. Bow your heads with me.